and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you on Tuesday, January 10th, 2023, 8.42 p.m. from the cold and soon-to-be miserable uh, confines of Sunderland, Massachusetts. Of course, there is a recruiting weekend this weekend coming up for the football team, and we're supposed to get some kind of combination of snow, sleet, rain, all at the same time, starting Friday and into Saturday afternoon. But of course, I guess we can't have the weather be but so good, considering we do recruit from Florida and California. we got to make sure those young men know what they're getting into when they come here. I hope all of you had a lovely New Year's um, and a lovely holiday season. Our Christmas was interesting this year because we got caught up in the Southwest debacle a little bit, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, We were supposed to leave on the morning of the 23rd early, and we didn't leave until Christmas Day. Um, But it all worked out. We extended our trip to the 29th. We were supposed to come back the 28th, but we made it back on the 29th, and more importantly, so did all our luggage. So in the grand scheme, we didn't have it nearly as bad as everybody else did. And we had a very quiet New Year's uh, here by ourselves, which was nice. And so far, the first 10 days of the New Year have been pretty good. And I hope the same is true for all of you. Uh, Tonight, I thought uh, that I would discuss with you a bird that I had somehow assumed was Asian, but is actually North American, and that bird is the whooping crane. I have no idea how I got it into my head that the whooping crane is Japanese. Uh, There are quite a few Asian cranes, and of course we all know the origami peace crane story, but yeah, I have no idea why I thought these birds were Japanese. But, as my research for this episode quickly taught me, they are, they are the largest and most endangered bird in all of North America. Um, they can be up to five feet tall, which, I don't know, I think that's a little disturbing considering I'm only 5'2". I can't imagine a bird almost as tall as I am. Can't say I've ever seen one that big. Um, And because they are that tall, they can have a seven-foot wingspan. They are predominantly white, but they have black wingtips, black legs, and a black bill. And they have a red crown of feathers on their head. Uh, They can weigh about 15 pounds. And their trachea is also five feet long, and it coils into their sternum, uh, which facilitates the loud call that gives them their name. Um, the oldest whooping crane in the wild is believed to have been, uh, was at least 28 years old when it was found in Saskatchewan in 2005, and it had actually been banded in the Northwest Territories in 1977, so it didn't venture too far away from where it was tagged. Um, they prefer shallow freshwater marshes which is why you find them predominantly in Texas and in Louisiana here in the United States and a few in Florida. Um, Because they browse for food instead of hunt for it, like quite a few birds do, 
they're quite vulnerable to predators and they uh, sadly their biggest predator is of course humans uh, but they take a relatively long time to reproduce because these birds mate for life uh, they can have a 28 to 30 year lifespan it's believed in the wild um, so if you have about a 30 year lifespan you're probably not going to reach sexual maturity much before your fourth or fifth year so by that time the male birds will do this crazy crazy mating dance um, I've seen some videos online of it and kind of glad my husband never had to do that to impress me but so by the time they do attract a mate and they're not always successful the first time out by the time they attract a mate they form that a pair bond with that mate and then they mate for life but it can take another couple of years to be able to produce an egg that hatches into a viable healthy chick um, and I suppose if you think about it it's true even in the human world that if you're trying to have children um, you know the odds are more in your favor if you start younger but nothing says you're going to conceive right away um, you know in fact it can take years for some couples and it's true that's the same is true for a whooping crane so as we have discussed with other species if you have a relatively uh, long time period between maturity and actual reproduction that can make it more difficult to repopulate the species um, and like I said humans it's the same story different animal humans have decimated the whooping crane for primarily two reasons one is because in the from I'd say the mid to late 1800s to the early 1900s um, they were slaughtered systematically for not only their meat which was considered a delicacy but for their feathers because women wore feathers it was a status symbol um, if you were very wealthy you wore clothes adorned with feathers and I would assume that whooping crane feathers were pretty popular in fashion because they were the pure white um, so yes fashion and vanity and also habitat loss have almost destroyed the whooping cranes and the habitat loss comes from draining marshlands and wetlands for agricultural development for oil and gas exploration and then for the creation of intercoastal waterways so yeah it's a stupid humans again <laughs> and it got so bad that by 1942 there were only 16 known whooping cranes in existence and that was in the primary flock that migrates from Canada to Texas every year and there were uh, six whooping cranes that lived in Louisiana but they sadly all died so there were literally 16 and fortunately uh, scientists began trying to preserve them so all the whooping cranes in existence now are descended from those last 16 at the early part of the 20th century and uh, so we can be very thankful that biologists at the USGS which is the United States Geological Survey 
Patuxent Wildlife Research Center in Maryland began a captive breeding program in the 60s that started with one male crane they named Canis. Now, Canis was a rescue in 1964. He was found with a broken wing, and I cannot for the life of me, I didn't write it down, but I can't remember where he was found, but biologists were able to rehabilitate him and help his wing heal and in 1966, he was sent to Maryland, um, and in 1967, the USGS began their captive breeding program. So Canis successfully sired most of the cranes that were eventually released back into the wild, and the first whooping crane to fledge in the U.S. in over 60 years is a direct descendant of Canis. So fortunately... You know, nature finds a way, as Jurassic Park told us. Um, and the Canadian flock now has over 60 adults, which includes 29 mated pairs. And those mated pairs lay an average of 40 eggs every year in a breeding season. So thankfully, they are making a comeback. 60 is still an incredibly small number. And if you consider the narrow genetic uh, band that these birds come from they only came from the last 16 living on earth that's that's kind of cause for I guess you would call it cautious optimism because clearly the numbers are going up and if these birds are given the chance they're prolific breeders however the narrow genetic diversity means they're probably more susceptible to genetic illnesses that could possibly have a deleterious effect on the populations in the future. But so far, so good, because like I said, Canis, back in the 60s, he was responsible for breeding with most of the females, and most of the genetic stock today can be traced to him. So, so far, there has not been any genetic issues with the breeding program. Um, now, of course, it begs the question, if you raise a bunch of captive bred cranes, how do they know how to migrate? Well, they don't, and they have to be taught by biologists who actually, and I'm sure you've seen videos of this, uh, migrate with the birds using ultralight aircraft to literally show them the way to go. And I have seen videos before of men and women in ultralight aircraft with birds following along behind them um, because you do have to teach them how to migrate if you're gonna if you're gonna give them a, any chance at survival but fortunately that is a method that works and one other thing i read that i thought was very interesting was um, there is a group called the international crane foundation and they have partnered with power companies across the migratory routes of the whooping cranes to encourage the use of high-visibility flight diverters so that the whooping cranes will be guided away from power lines to reduce collision risk because one of the number one uh, risks for these birds in their migratory path is power lines. I would assume if we start going the way of the Green New Deal and putting up windmills all over the place, windmills will eventually be a danger to them too. But right now, one of the biggest dangers is electrocution. So 
I was wondering what these things looked like, and I, I Googled them, and they basically look like, I guess you could say giant dog tags, and they're very highly reflective, and when they scan in the wind, um, and reflect the light, it makes it easier for the roofing cranes to avoid the power lines. So, as you can see, this is just a stepway, of course it's got a long razor, um, roofing cranes back in the day used to number in the hundreds of thousands, I think, in North America. So the fact that we have 50, that's better than what we did have. But we still have a long way to go to have the species drive the way it used to. But through education and um, federal grants that have brought so many um, families and groups together to have better practices, 